Okay, so um, the reading today is from John. Uh, we're reading John um, chapter 21, verses 1 to 14. Um, if you want to follow along in your Bibles, it's on page 1687. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter, Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realise that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Thanks, Heather, and good morning, everyone. It's great to have you here today. Isn't it a wonderful day for us as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus? If we haven't met before, my name is Carl. I'm the pastor here at Trinity Church Unley, and it really is lovely to have you here with us today. Love you to stay with us after our service. We've got some hot cross buns and some great coffee to enjoy together afterwards. We'd love to get to know you a little better. Um, if you are visiting if you've got a leaflet on your way in, there's a response slip on the side of the leaflet. We'd love to just uh, give you a call or send you an email on the week to welcome you for being with us. So if you'd let us know your details, we'll be able to do that on the slip. Well, a few weeks ago, I went out fishing with Mike. You know Mike better as Captain Walker D. Plank. Um, I'd recently bought a canoe off Gumtree, and I really wanted to try out fishing in the canoe. So early one morning, I went past... Mike's house, picked him up, and we went out fishing. That's right, I took Captain Walker D. Plank out fishing in my little boat, and surprisingly enough, he left his pirate costume at home. We paddled out in our little canoe off from the beach at Second Valley, and our hopes were pretty high. After all, we had a boat this time. Surely our fishing would bear much fruit. Mike even brought a bucket with him. That's how confident he was that we would catch some fish. 
It's funny, isn't it, after an hour or so of fishing, how things can change. We've been talking up in the week leading up to this, the prospect of catching all this fish. And yet 60 minutes into our little fishing adventure, we were suddenly commenting on how beautiful it was to be out on the water, looking at the rugged cliff line and all the amazing caves that you can only see from the water. When you're catching fish, the last thing you care about is the scenery. And when you're not, suddenly you're trying to make excuses for being out there. See, we weren't catching any fish. We did, however, know that Easter was coming up, and we knew at that stage that we were going to look at John chapter 21 together. And so I lost count of the number of times we said to each other, let's just try casting our line on the other side (laughs) of the boat. But you guessed that no matter how often we tried, no fish. I reckon if you're a hapless fisherman like Mike or I, you probably tried this yourselves, knowing this Bible story perhaps a little bit. But of course, no matter how many times you try the other side of the boat, it rarely works, does it? I mean, for us, this is about as effective as spitting in the eyes of a blind person and expecting them to be able to see. Because we're simply not God, are we? I wonder what you think the first 14 verses of John chapter 21 are all about, those verses that Heather read to us just before. What do you think these verses are about? The disciples, well, at least some of them, are out fishing. I don't think these disciples were there to enjoy the scenery. They weren't looking at the rugged coastline. I think they were either there to try and rustle up for themselves a meal, but probably more likely they were there to try and make some money. As you read this, did you think it was a little bit strange so soon after the death and resurrection of Jesus that they're back out doing just what they've always done, fishing? Of course, Pentecost hasn't happened yet, and there is some real uncertainty, I think, for the disciples at this point in history. And whatever the reason is for it, they go back to the trade that they knew so well, fishing. Although they'd lost the touch of fishermen, hadn't they? That night they caught nothing. Probably been your experience as fisher people as well, going out at night and catching nothing. Certainly that's my experience, but for me and for you as well, on our way home there's always a great country bakery to slip past. Not so the case for these guys. For professional fishermen, a night with nothing to show for yourself. That's a bit of a problem, isn't it? And then as dawn breaks, the men hear another man yelling from the shore, throw your net in on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. It's just preposterous, isn't it? Mike showed us this in the kids' talk. After a night of fishing, that another side of the boat would make any difference. And yet when you're not catching anything, when you're absolutely out of ideas, anything's worth a try. And so the disciples, they throw their nets in as they're told on the other side and they haul in a net full of fish. This is nothing else but miraculous, isn't it? I mean, fish swim in the ocean and the ocean is large, casting your net a couple of metres away from where you were before. Well, it makes no difference, does it? It's the same water. And yet they listen to the man on the beach. A 
and they haul in 153 fish. It's a miracle, isn't it? It can be nothing else. And the disciples, they know it. They look up again and now they look more closely at the man on the shore. For those of you who've been with us for a while, they ask that same question, I reckon, in their minds that they were asking in Matthew's Gospel, what kind of a man is that on the shore? Who else could it be but Jesus, the miracle worker? And John's, John, the disciple who Jesus loves, he recognises that. He recognises Jesus. I'd love you to see today in our passage that this is the same Jesus that the disciples knew. He's recognisably the same, but he also seems to be a bit different. He's the same in the sense that he still has great power over the world. He's got the power here to command 153 fish to swim into a net. But remember, this is the same man who calmed the waves with a word. Great power over nature and the created world. This is the same man who healed the blind and the deaf and the mute. Same man who healed the lame and all the sick. And here he is again working what can only be described as a miracle. A whole net full of fish. And it's this miraculous work that I think helps the first disciple, the disciple who Jesus loves, to look more closely now with eyes that see this man on the beach must be their saviour, their king, their Lord. It's Jesus, the risen Lord, the same Jesus they knew but different. As the passage was read to us by Heather before, did you get a sense of some of the uncertainty, though, that there hangs in the air around this Jesus? I mean, after all, this man had been dead, really, really dead. Disciples had seen him die, and yet here he is standing upright on the beach. Here is Jesus, the risen Lord. Here is Jesus, the vindicated King. Here's a man who's returned from the dead, really dead, not just tricking dead, really dead, and now he stands before the disciples upright and alive. And just as Jesus had previously spent time washing the disciples' feet, here I want you to see Jesus continuing, just like before, to serve his disciples. This time he's made them breakfast. Something about having breakfast made for you, isn't there? Or perhaps having coffee made for you first thing in the morning. I think there's nothing better than having a cup of coffee placed into your hands while you're in that kind of just waking up phase. Here we see Jesus. He's already got a fire crackling. The coals are burning. And cooking on the fire is fish and bread. I'm heading away next week camping. I'm really looking forward to taking the canoe. I'm determined this time to catch some fish. I've been training Gus and Hamish on how to do it. I'm looking forward to catching fish and roasting them on the fire. It's a great picture, isn't it? A kind of heartwarming picture. A beach, 
a warm fire and roasting food, especially a comfort, comforting picture when you've been out all night fishing. So here's a picture of comfort and a picture of hospitality and service. If, you've, if you're the sort of person who's known Jesus for a while, I want you to just take in this scene really carefully and think through what it means. See, here is the supreme ruler of the universe, the one who just died a gruesome death for the whole world, the one who's been dead and buried in a tomb and now raised. And what's he doing? He's walking around making his disciples breakfast. He's not making a spectacle of himself. He could have. Here's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Here is the one who has conquered death. And he's making his disciples breakfast. That's service, isn't it? That's love. That's the character of Jesus. That is the God who we worship. What a wonderful picture. It's been a while since you thought through the person of Jesus or a while since you thought about who he, who he is. Here's a great insight into what he is like. He's a man of service and a man of care, a man of gentleness and humility. And yet, he's also the king who has defeated death. He's also the man who's just proved to the whole world that he is worthy of adoration and worship and honour and glory. See, his praise at this point should be sung louder than any other king. His praise should be sung louder than any rock star, louder than any of the latest Instagram influencers. See, here is the king of kings. Here's the one who can command 153 fish to land in a net. Here's the one who spun the stars into the sky. The one who knows the hairs on our head. And yet he's serving his disciples breakfast on the beach. This man is our king. He's a God worth taking a look at, if you haven't taken a look at before. In Mark's gospel, this is what Jesus says of himself. He says, for even the Son of Man, that's Jesus, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, today with the fishing boat behind me, we're kind of following this theme and this idea of fish as we've been working our way through the Easter story. Luke's Gospel also tells, something, tells us something about fish and about Jesus and Jesus' resurrection. It's a different story in Luke's Gospel, but it's a story that still involves fish. See, the resurrection of Jesus, it's such a, a fantastical thing that many have tried to explain it away. wonder how you've heard others explain away the story of Jesus and his resurrection. See, one of the arguments is that Jesus didn't really die. They look to the cross and they say he wasn't really dead, he was just unconscious. Yet as we read through the gospel accounts and as we read about the wound in his side and we read of the skill of the Roman soldiers as great executioners, well then we probably think that really he must have been dead. 
So another argument goes, well then, perhaps he was never really raised. Perhaps the disciples just saw visions or aspersions or a ghost that looked like Jesus, but it wasn't really Jesus. And it's a bit of fish that helps answer that line of questioning. And it does it with absolute clarity. Let me show you how. I'd love you to come in your Bibles with me to that passage now in Luke. It's on page 1,645. It's Luke chapter 24. And I want to read to you from verse 36. So Luke chapter 24 on page 1,645. Here in Luke's Gospel, the disciples were together. Two of the disciples had just recognised the risen Lord on the road to Emmaus. You might know that story. And those two have gathered the other disciples together. And then this happens. It says this in verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them. Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do, you, why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked, Do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Can you imagine the scene? The disciples are together. Two of them are recounting the story of what had happened to them on the road to Emmaus, where Jesus had revealed things to themselves and told them how Scripture worked. They're telling this story and then all of a sudden, Jesus is just amongst them. How could that be? Just appear. Perhaps he is a ghost. And understandably, the disciples are frightened. And so Jesus shows them his hands and his feet. They still bear the wounds of the cross. Touch me, he says. I'm real. I'm solid. Ghosts don't have flesh and bones. And then he asked them if there's anything to eat. I have four kids. They're growing up fast. I understand this gets worse as the kids get into their teenage years. But even today, it feels like I get this question asked of me a dozen times an hour. Is there anything here to eat? I think part of the problem in our house is that eating is something to do with boredom. It's a way of relieving some of the boredom. But here, Jesus is not bored, is he? He's really keen to demonstrate his physicality, his solidness, so to speak. He's keen to show that he's not a ghost. And so he asks for some real food. I've not seen a ghost before. I don't know about you. But I know from reading Harry Potter a bit that ghosts, they lack substance. If a ghost puts a bit of food into its mouth, It's just going to drop out onto the ground below. See, eating is something that belongs to the physical and the tangible and the solid world. And so here, Jesus is demonstrating the reality 
of his resurrection and how physical it is, how real it is. He's ramming home to his disciples, I have risen, really risen, in tangible, fleshy, bodily form. And Luke shows us this by this little account of Jesus eating a piece of fish in the presence of his disciples. Now earlier, Captain Walker D. Plank, he caught a great looking fish, didn't he? You might be wondering where the pirate's gone. Well, I can tell you that he's been hard at work out in the kitchen, filleting that fish and turning it into little portions of fish bites. Actually, he's not. He's actually out teaching the kids their program. But imagine he was doing that. It's not quite true, but imagine he was doing that. Today, we've prepared some little portions of fish for you, and those portions are going to be passed around now. Now, this is a little bit of a strange thing to do at 11 a.m. on a Sunday morning, but I'd love you to take a piece of fish this morning, hold it in your hands, see that it's real. It's got substance to it. And I want you to eat your piece of fish, if you can do that at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning, and as you eat it, I want you to just reflect on how real that fish is. Because this is the story in the Bible that shows us, without doubt, Jesus rose in real bodily form. And have a look around the hall and look, are the bits of fish just dropping onto the floor through ghosts? No, because it's real fish. And as you chew your way through that bit of fish, if you can do that, if you can't, just leave it in your napkin, that's okay. I want you to think and be encouraged. Jesus really rose. He rose in real bodily form. This is not just a story about good overcoming evil. This is the reality. Jesus rose from the dead in real bodily form. Now, you might be wondering why this matters. Well, here's why it matters. The real bodily resurrection of Jesus is the definitive proof that Jesus is who he said he is. That he is God. It's the definitive proof that in Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is breaking into the world. It's proof that every knee will one day bow before this king of kings. See, in the physical, real resurrection of Jesus, we see death defeated. We see the evil in this world defeated. We see the wrongs in this world start to be made right. In the resurrection of Jesus, we see the first glimpse of the new creation, the first glimpse of the new heavens and the new earth. And that's why Easter Sunday is such a great day of celebration for Christians the world over. It's a day of triumph, as Jesus is shown to be the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, beyond a doubt. He's not a ghost. Your bit of fish is proof of that. He ate it in the presence of his disciples. They didn't get it wrong about him. He wasn't a ghost. 
The risen Jesus still has the wounds of the cross and he's recognized by the, by the disciples. Something else that's really encouraging, I think, though, for us today about the physical resurrection of Jesus. Here it is. It gives us hope and great certainty of our own bodily resurrection. You might have heard it said that Christians follow in the footsteps of Jesus. As his disciples, we walk with him, but actually he's our trailblazer. He's the leader. He's the one who goes before us. That's true in terms of the challenges that we face in this life. Remember, Jesus was tested in every way and yet was without sin. But it's also true in terms of our resurrection. See, the Bible tells us that part of the great news about Easter Sunday is that Jesus rose physically and therefore we too can have great confidence about our own physical, bodily resurrection. The Apostle Paul describes Jesus as the first fruits of the resurrection. The first fruits are those fruits that are picked first, the first cab off the rank, so to speak. Jesus is the first person to undergo a bodily resurrection. He's the first fruit. And Paul also tells us that just as Jesus was the first fruit, so we too can look forward to our own bodily resurrection. Paul says that just as death came through one man, so all in Christ will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. You can read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this is great news for us. This is the outworking of Easter Sunday, our own resurrection, and the sure hope that we have of that happening. So I think that as Christians, we, we tend to think forward, thinking that we'll end up in heaven. And while that's true, that's only part of the story, isn't it? The full story is that we have a new creation to look forward to, a new earth, a new heavens, and with that, physical, real, resurrected bodies. Sounds a bit sci-fi, kind of, doesn't it? But that is the great promise and the great certainty of Jesus' own resurrection. Because Jesus is the first fruits. If we want to know what it's going to be like to have resurrected bodies, our best guide is to look at the example of the resurrected Jesus. His body was physical, it was capable of eating fish. And I hope by extension of eating chocolate and wine and perfectly cooked, cruelty-free steaks and burgers and all the best things there are to eat in life. See, the resurrection of Jesus, it provides us with a foretaste of the new creation, the creation that will be ushered in properly when Jesus returns as the judge, yes, as the judge, but also as the ruler, where every knee will bow before him in reverent submission. The new creation is the stuff of Isaiah's banquets. Remember those great stories that we read about? It's of the world being put right. It's of pain being undone and indeed being reversed. The new creation is the great hope that we have to look forward to as those who love Jesus. That sore knee, foot, ankle, it'll be healed. It'll never hurt again. Those old aches and pains will be undone. 
the destructive, hurtful, painful, broken parts of the world, they'll be gone, they'll be mended, they'll be repaired, or they'll be renewed. And death will be defeated. Perhaps this has been a year with death in it for you. Today is a great and powerful reminder for us that death has been defeated. It's a great day for us to remember that we are not to grieve like the rest of the world does, for we have this great hope of resurrection. If it all sounds a bit good to be true for you, I'd love to talk with you more about this, because this is the way the Bible speaks of what we have to look forward to. It tells us that Jesus died, and yet he rose physically, bodily, really, And that makes him the defeater of death. It makes him who he said he was. So in the resurrection of Jesus, the real physical resurrection of Jesus, we have a great promise. The world will be put right. The king, who's a king of majesty and humility and service and compassion, he will rule and he will reign. And those who believe, those who place their hope and trust in Jesus... Well, they'll join him in the new creation. And there we'll do just as we do here. We'll worship our glorious king. I'm going to pray for us and give thanks uh, for the great joy of what Jesus has done for us. Father God, almighty creator, we give you great thanks for Jesus. We thank you for Christ our Passover that has been sacrificed for us. We thank you that death has no more dominion over him and that in dying he died to sin once for all and in living he lives to God. We give you thanks that he is the first fruits of those who sleep. For by one man came death, but by another has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Amen.